Hear the word of God from Luke, the 22nd chapter, verses 54 through 62. Having arrested him, they left him, led him away, and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight and looking intently at him, said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Men, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he is a Gentile, I'm sorry, he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him, Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Just a few hours before that scene, Peter sounded much different. In Luke 22, verse 31, Jesus says to him, Simon, Simon, listen. Satan has demanded to sift you all like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your own faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the cock will not crow this day until you have denied me three times that you know me. <clears throat> You'd have to have been born probably before 1960 to remember Flip Wilson, the comedian, but he had a routine with Geraldine. Geraldine was a sassy lady. She had gone out to buy a dress, and her husband was very angry when he saw how much she had spent, and he asked, Geraldine, why did you do it? And if you're born before 60, you know the answer. The devil made me do it. And she had all these reasons of how the devil had led her into the store and showed her the dress and enticed her to try it on and then forced her to sign her husband's name to the check. It wasn't Geraldine's fault. The devil had made her do it. In some ways, Flip Wilson was following the direction of our culture. Sin had become not a serious matter, but a laughing matter. In the night Lane and I received the call, sin was not a laughing matter. On the other end of the phone was one of our college students. I was serving as a campus minister at that time, and I could tell that she was distraught. 
She said, I need to see you right now. It was about 11 o'clock in the evening, and I asked her, can it wait till in the morning? And she said, no. Curfew's at uh, midnight, and I have to be back in the dorm. So the debate started. Lane couldn't go with me because we had a young child asleep in the next room. There was nobody else that I could gather together at that point, and I was about to violate everything that I'd been taught about pastoral counseling to never meet with a member of the opposite sex alone. We trusted her, and Lane and I debated it, and because of the sound of her voice, I decided I must go. When we got to the parking, or I got to the parking lot, she was waiting for me, and we went into the church building and into my office. And the story came tumbling out. She and her boyfriend that she loved deeply and was planning to marry had consummated their relationship in his car that evening. She was broken. Could not believe that she had succumbed to temptation. They had promised that they would wait, but they hadn't. And we talked, and we talked. And one of the things that she was deeply concerned about, I think she was handling her shame in a very healthy way, but he was not. Because he actually saw himself as Judas and said, I've betrayed my Lord this evening and thought that what he had done was not forgivable. And she was concerned for him. And the more we talked that evening, I knew that what she needed was the glance of grace. Back to Luke 22. Jesus and his disciples had gathered together for what Jesus knew was their last meal this side of his death. It was a Passover meal. So a lot was at stake. Two of the disciples are singled out in Luke 22. One is Judas and one is Peter. And I'm going to go back to the first six verses of Luke 22 to get the original part of the scene set. Now the festival of the unleavened bread, which is called the Passover, was near. The chief priest and the scribes were looking for a way to put Jesus to death, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was one of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priest and the officers of the temple police about how he might betray Jesus to them. They were greatly pleased and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began to look for an opportunity to betray him to them when no crowd was present. Judas is singled out at the table. Peter is singled out at the table. But there's another character in both episodes that we often read right over or look right over. And that's Satan. In the case of Judas, it says that Satan entered Judas. Some think that Satan overwhelmed him. 
broke the door down. But Satan does not have that type of power. Judas had opened the door and left the door open for Satan to be able to move into his heart and into his soul. He was entirely cooperative. Peter, though, claimed that he would stand up even to death and would not deny his Lord. And yet we know how that one turned out as well. When Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift all of you like wheat. It's a very vivid image. A violent shaking is what takes place in sifting. And all of the disciples were about to be sifted in a way that they could not imagine. And Jesus knew it. But even there, Jesus knew Peter's heart. He was not going to open the door willingly to Satan. He would fight it. He might get beat on this occasion. But Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you return, when you come back to me, strengthen your brothers. And as we read later in Luke and especially in Acts, we see that Peter did come back. And he did do just that in bringing the disciples back together again. There's a question that's haunted me. What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Both had the same opportunities. One ultimately was lost and the other saved. The way I've worked through that question is that is this. Judas sold out, but Peter bailed out. Judas sold out to the point that even when he had repented, it was not the same type of repentance that Peter did. Peter was willing to come back to the Lord, face the Lord, even in his shame, and be forgiven. And Judas was unwilling to do that for whatever reason. He would not return. He would not come back. That evening, when Peter had denied Jesus the third time and the cock crowed, the text says, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. I sometimes go over my sermon outline with my wife, Lane, and I was doing that with her yesterday afternoon, and she gave me a teacher's perspective on that. She said Jesus gave him the look. As a teacher, she could give her students a look without saying anything, and they knew exactly what she meant. A parent can do the same thing. We can be frozen by the look. And Jesus looked at Peter. Uh Uh-huh, Peter. The one who will not deny me, the one who will go to death with me. Uh Uh-huh, Peter. But I don't think it was the look of judgment that Jesus was giving to Peter. It was the glance of grace. And that's exactly what the co-ed that I was meeting with that evening needed. 
She, like Peter, had wept bitter tears and had swallowed them. Things had not turned out as she and her boyfriend had hoped they would. But what were they going to do now? As we talked about it, I said, you're right. You shouldn't have done it, but you did. You can't undo it. It's there. It will not go away. The most important question is, what are you going to do with it? And we talked about how she was going to have to convince her boyfriend that he was not Judas, that it was forgivable, that there would have to be changes in their relationship, but that they could continue to be disciples of Jesus. And I was thankful that unlike Flip Wilson's character, this young lady was not willing to say, the devil made me do it. She wasn't looking for someone else to blame. She took full responsibility. And she stood there to look Jesus in the face and receive the glance of grace. What I realized that evening is that what she was really wanting and needing was something that I, as a minister, could not provide for. She was wanting absolution. If she had been a member of the Roman Catholic Church, it has a right of penance to where she could go to the priest, make her confession, and she would receive words and acts of absolution from the priest. In fact, that rite goes like this. After the confession, the priest will say back, God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and they both would say, Amen. But I'm not a priest, and in our tradition, we do not have that right. But we have this text, where Jesus looked at a broken sinner, a disciple who had bailed out on him, and gave him the glance of grace. And we look for that that evening. She was going to need to stay close enough to Jesus in the days to come when her shame was overwhelming to continue to see the glance of grace. She left that evening going back to her dorm, shaken, disappointed, but convinced that she was forgiven. She had seen Jesus' glance of grace, and she left determined to help her boyfriend see it as well. The next Sunday morning, she and he held hands as they symbolically put their hand on the table that we will be coming to in just a moment. They joined the rest of us forgiven sinners coming to the table, recognizing 
that we need the glance of grace. And just as Satan had been lurking in the shadows that evening with Judas and Peter to do his work, there's a chance even today as we come to the Lord's table, Satan is lurking in the shadows. That evening, the young lady and her boyfriend discovered that they were not alone. Satan was there as their tempter. And when the deed was done, he became their accuser. And as we come to the table today, some of us may be coming in the throes of temptation because we all know our sinful state. We know where our weaknesses are. They're not the same for each one of us, but each one of us struggle with something weekly. The tempter keeps coming. But what we want to hear today at the table again, that the blood was given for the forgiveness of our sins. And we can see the glance of grace and turn the accuser away saying, Jesus is more powerful than you are. And I've seen his glance. And it's a glance of grace. In our strength, let's be ready to encourage one another as brothers and sisters. In our weakness, let's be humble enough to ask for help so that we can continue to see that glance that Jesus gives us. And in all cases, let's point people to the glance of grace who have never seen Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we're coming to the table at this time together to again see that glance of grace that Jesus gives us. But knowing that the tempter is nearby and he might be accusing, but here we know that Jesus won the victory through God's power and we continue to live together in the Holy Spirit. Can we all say amen to that? Amen. Let's come to the table.